From member-supported Colorado Public Radio, this is Since Columbine. I'm Nathaniel Miner. Brianna, put a cold pack in there for me, babes. Amy Over is a bubbly, 30-something stay-at-home mom. (laughs) When we first meet, it's at her house in the Denver suburbs. She smiles a lot, and especially when she talks about her kids. She remembers so many details of their big milestones, like her daughter Bree's first day of preschool. It started out great. It was a nice day. It was a nice morning. Um... She had her cute little backpack on and her hair perfect and in little bows, and she looked like she was really excited. Bree led the way up the sidewalk to the school, her parents a few steps behind. Amy took her picture and gave her a hug. And then it was time for Bree to go inside. Once I actually left her, I was just like, oh, oh my God. Like, I, I, just this crippling fear. She felt like the walls were closing in. Her husband took her to the hospital. It was a panic attack. Uh, I felt like I was having a heart attack. Those started that day and stayed with me for a long time. It was a really dark time. This is Since Columbine, a podcast from Colorado Public Radio. We're taking a look at how one shooting 20 years ago changed America. In this first episode, what happens when survivors of a school shooting send their own children to school? For survivor parents like Amy Over, the events of that April morning 20 years ago are still part of their lives, sometimes in ways they never saw coming. In 1999, Amy was about to graduate high school. She was nervous about where she was going to go to college. And then on April 20th, good news. Her coach, Dave Sanders, told her she'd gotten a basketball scholarship. I thought I was the shit, you know? I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go play basketball and everything's great. And then I go down to lunch and that's when I heard the first gunshots. She dove under a table. And then her coach, the same one that had just given her the news about the scholarship, shouted at her and other students to get out, to find cover. She doesn't remember how she got home, but her mom does. She said, I walked in and I was a shell of a person. She gave me a big hug and I I just went straight to my room and she said I went to sleep. Amy had nightmares. She knew one of the shooters and she got really mad. Coach Sanders was killed in the attack. She took her anger out on her mom. She wouldn't let her comfort her. You know, you don't know what I went through. But now as a mom, I'm like, gosh, she must have been just horrified. Had to have been the worst day of her life. I met Amy's family on a recent weekday morning as they got ready for school. Her son Mason, like any good six-year-old, loves sugary cereal. Why do you like Lucky Charms? (laughs) (laughs) Her daughter Brie is a little bleary-eyed. She's 13 years old, 7th grade. I go to a performing arts school, and I'm a competitive dancer, so I dance every day. The Over family lives in Parker, just down the highway from Columbine. Amy and her husband Curtis have made a quiet suburban life there. But that life took time to build. Amy's years after high school were rough. Her anxiety kept her away from people. It made her physically ill. I was a hot mess, literally a mess. And then she met Curtis. And he kind of swooped me up and took care of me, and he is my rock. 
Their personalities complement each other. Where Amy's boisterous, Curtis is quieter. He says Amy's experience at Columbine has always been in the background of their relationship. And it wasn't about this thing. It was just, you know, that was part of what she brought, you know, and I had my stuff that I brought. But, you know, we fell in love and that was that. Amy learned to work through her anxiety. She went to therapy and took up kickboxing. But one question always hung over her head. When should she talk about Columbine with her daughter? And she worried about that for years. And Bree, Bree's a smart, perceptive kid. She knew her mom was keeping something from her, something big. I've always been curious, and I asked her, like, what happened? I always knew something. I don't know, I just had that gut feeling. I didn't really tell you about Columbine until you were 11 years old. But prior to that, you knew every April I would go to the school. And you would always ask, why Why are you going there? And I was like, well, Mommy went through something, and, and uh, this is a, a s sad day for Mommy, and, and this is, um, you know, someday I'll share it with you. Amy didn't want to take away her daughter's peaceful ignorance. Bree likes school. Amy didn't want her to be afraid of it. The right day to tell Bree finally came two years ago, on the anniversary of the shooting. That morning, Bree told her mom she wanted to go with her to the school. So they walked the halls together. Amy showed Bree where Coach Sanders died, where she heard the first gunshots, where she hid under a table. And then um, we went to the Columbine Memorial and she got to see how beautiful it was and uh, how peaceful. And she just read all of the quotes and kind of took everything in. Bree was just a preteen at the time, and this whole event, it was a lot for her to process. But in the moment, she was only thinking about her mom. I could tell that she was struggling, and I just gave her a hug because I didn't know how to support her because I've been through certain types of trauma, but not mass trauma. And like, I just didn't know how to support her. It felt like uh, I finally had this secret that I could, I don't know, it's like sharing it with my best friend or something that I finally was able to kind of take a deep breath and I finally she knows. Amy still deals with depression, especially every April as the anniversary comes around. But moments like that hug help Amy to manage her anxiety. She says she doesn't have panic attacks anymore. And now she's more prepared to have a similar conversation with her six-year-old son, Mason, when the time comes. Amy isn't the only Columbine survivor dealing with issues like this. Missy Mendo of Lakewood just became a mom too. The theme of her nursery is mermaids, so come on in. It's, it's pretty awesome. Missy's daughter Ellie is less than a year old. She's just waking up from a nap. Say hello. Amy and Missy are both members of a group called the Rebels Project. They travel around and get to know survivors of other shootings. Their first trip together was last year to Paducah, Kentucky, the site of another school shooting. Missy said the trip got a little overwhelming, but Amy was there to say, hey, slow down. She was like, you are a new mom. You have to pace yourself. 
If you need a mental break, you take a mental break. If you are feeling tired, if your back hurts, if your feet are swelling, you need to check in with yourself. Missy has some of the same questions and concerns that Amy did, all shaped by Columbine. When I became pregnant, the first five minutes, you are so happy, you're excited, this is what you've wanted, and then immediately I think, what am I gonna tell my kid? What do you tell them, and when, and what do you leave out? And I feel like those are probably gonna be things I'm gonna ask Amy when the time comes to. And that's the flip side to a shooting that traumatized so many people. We have each other, and there's no one better to understand than a survivor, you know? There's no one better to walk you through these steps than someone who who understands what you're going through. Amy's daughter Bree is a busy middle schooler. When she's not dancing or doing homework, she's gotten involved with the movement to prevent gun violence. Last spring, Bree and Amy went to the March for Our Lives demonstration in Denver. The shooting in Parkland, Florida motivated Bree, and so did her mom's story. She's so sympathetic and empathetic to others, and watching her um, was just powerful. But the poor thing was so exhausted at the end of the day. She was like, Mom, I don't feel right. It's a feeling I've never felt before. It's just like, from my gut, I was just drained. I remember her crying at at the rally. She's like, I can't believe that people have gone through so much pain and heartache. And and then she asked me the question, is this going to happen to me? You know, as you just say, no, you know, the chances of that are really slim. But she has that in the back of her mind, you know, that what if what if this could happen to me? Amy thinks about that, too. She knows this is the world that exists now. She was there at Columbine when it was created. We're gonna have to haul ass to school. (laughs) We're in the car. Amy and Bree talk about dinner plans and an upcoming dance test. We pull up to the school. Put your phone away. Do you have your lunch? Yeah. Bye, babe, I love you. Love you. See ya, have a good day. Twenty years after that April morning, Amy doesn't have to carry the weight of her experiences alone. It's still hard for her, but now her family's there to help. Bree grabs her backpack and jumps out. Then she turns as Amy watches from the car and heads into school. Thanks for listening to Since Columbine. Our next episode will be out later this week. And please support our work. Recommend this podcast to a friend and visit CPR.org to become a member. Thanks. This episode of Since Columbine was reported by Nathaniel Miner. It was edited by Rachel Esterbrook with help from Kevin Dale. John Pinnell produced and mixed the episode. Music provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Since Columbine is a production of Colorado Public Radio.